0: Welcome to Sunday School. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, studying the book of Colossians. Uh, so go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we were in Chapter 2 uh, before we were so rudely interrupted by medical issues. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but uh, just to kind of, again, uh, just reestablish our, our train of thought, uh, in Chapter 2 we find uh, Paul giving... Uh, the church at Colossae, four different warnings uh, talking specifically about um, uh, certain things that were going to happen, things that they needed to be aware of. We find uh, the first warning in verse 4 where he says, uh, um, that, and uh, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. We find the second warning in verse 8 where he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We find the third one is in verse 16, where it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat uh, or in drink or in respect of a holy day or a new moon or of the Sabbath days. And in verse 18, he says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. Uh, Again, that last warning that we see there with verse 18, clearly, uh, excuse me, verse 19, uh, those two verses identify the thought in the main, if you will, theme of the book, which is Christ's preeminence. Christ should be preeminent in every area of our life. And this is what Paul is getting at, and he establishes why that's the case. Throughout this, we find all of these uh, uh, verses, all of these principles, talking about exactly why Christ is preeminent over everything. And with a Christian, it becomes necessary for us to be reminded of this frequently. Because so many times things will come in and we find here these four warnings where man, if you will, intrudes into things that are God's. Man often tries to steal from God, tries to rob God, rob him of his glory, rob him of his authority, rob him of his preeminence, rob him of of whatever it may be. And essentially, establish himself as God, which we go back all the way to the garden and find that that was one of the first temptations that was there. So what we find in this passage is, again, this reminder of why he is preeminent, but a warning of let's not let these things come in and intrude in that preeminence of Christ. So as we pick up here, and we kind of left off right around uh, that verse 8, and we'll, we'll pick up there, uh, just for sake, and if we go back over a few things, that's fine. But in verse 8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And he points out some things here that are very much influencing the world that we see today. The world that we see today is run by philosophy. What people think is true, not what is truth, but what they think is true. Truth becomes this, uh, uh, this, if you will, unattainable, whatever it means to you, uh, um, kind of, if you will, surreal element in your life. If you believe that the sky is purple, then you can go ahead and believe the sky is purple. You know, as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. Well, that does affect other people and people just don't realize that. You know, when, when we, when a person ignores the truth of God, uh, it affects a lot of people and it has an impact in a lot of people's lives. And when a Christian does it, it is even much more, uh, impactful in those that are around. But here he warns and he says, look, they're gonna spoil you. They're gonna spoil you. Often we go through our refrigerator looking for spoiled food. You know, the science projects growing in the back of it, you know? The things that have got some sort of furry little thing and it's not a creature of some type, but it's grown something. It's a petri dish. And, and, and those things are spoiled. You pull something out of the pantry and it's stale. It's, it's gone south. It's, it's not what it should be. Those are things that are spoiled. If you've ever uh, had a situation where, uh, and this has happened uh, a couple of times, sometimes you'll take a piece of meat and not realize exactly what its condition is before it's placed in the freezer. You kind of, if you will, suspend it there in suspended animation, and then the next thing you know is you, you do what? You take it out to thaw it, and you start thawing it, and you begin to unwrap it, and there's a distinct smell. It's spoiled. It's spoiled, and you're sitting there going, "Is it really spoiled?" And then you you, you might try to start cooking it, and you're like, "Oh, that's spoiled," because it's it's got a different smell. It doesn't smell like what it's supposed to normally smell like. And that's what happens when we allow, in this second warning here, these things to influence our lives, to take away the preeminence from God, because again, that's what philosophy is. Philosophy is this kind of if you will, this thing about uh, searching for the truth. I took philosophy class in college and and uh, got a, a decent grade in that uh, class because I would argue it from the perspective of what truth is scripturally. And the professor enjoyed that because I was one of the few people that I would actually engage and stand up for what was truth, which is the Bible. Other people were just kind of all over the board and And that's not what he was wanting. He was like, well, I want you to stand for some truth. If not, be convinced of what is truth. And what we find here is we find that philosophy sometimes will come in and will intrude and take preeminence over Christ. Now, philosophy is an invention of man. Philosophy is from the mind and the hearts of men whether you go back to Socrates and all the philosophers and Plato and all the ones that would babble on about various different things, you know, hypothesizing about this and talking about that and and, and, and trying to come up with some morals for life without scripture. Well, the Bible calls that person a fool. But what we find here is we find, he says, you need to be careful because philosophy and that mindset of what men think is truth, is going to destroy the preeminence of Christ in your life. He's not going to have the final say. He's not going to have the first say. And I dare say that we should always really truly believe what Christ says over there in the book of Revelation, where he says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The first one that you should go to is Christ. The last one you should go to is Christ. I mean, that's it. You should have the first and last say on everything that you do. The preeminence. We find there he also mentions not only with philosophy, but he says vain deceit. People are easily deceived today. Easily deceived. I mean whether it 's the Nigerian prince that has a few million dollars for you that you uh, need to help bail him out and he'll willing to share and give you all of his inheritance or whether it's uh, um, something that uh, looks innocent on the the out uh, on the outside, but as soon as you click on it, it immediately does things tries to take all of your your money tries to deceive you. People are deceived today by politicians. People are deceived by what's on the Internet. These things that keep uh, uh, coming out uh, are, are, are more and more sophisticated. Where you can hardly tell the difference between what is fabricated and what is truth. You can take a picture and alter it in such a way that it appears to be something other than what it is. Do that with video nowadays. Creative editing. It always looks very different. Things, th- th- things aren't always what they seem. And the believer should be very, very, very well aware of what is deceitful. And the only way that you can understand what is deceitful is to understand what is the truth. As I've said time and time again, the Secret Service doesn't sit there and study every single counterfeit that's out there. No, what they do is they study the original and they know exactly what the original is so that they can readily detect exactly which one is fake. So much so that they can run their fingers down a line of $20 bills and point out exactly which one is the counterfeit. Just by touch immediately identify the little little pieces. In, and trust me, they become more and more sophisticated every single day. One of the greatest counterfeiters of the world happens to be China. And they produce a lot of our money for us, the counterfeit kind, and try to flood the markets, destroying the U.S. dollar. But what we find is that, you know, to be diligent, to protect, to make sure that this country has stability, they have to make sure that they know what is the truth, what is the one that is real versus the one that is fake. And here Paul is warning them and he's saying, he says, you need to be aware of this. Be aware. Be aware that somebody is going to try to deceive you. The devil is a deceiver. He's been that way from the beginning. He continues to be that way. He gets individuals to think certain things about uh, 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 about Christ, about church, about the Bible, about all of it. A while ago I gave a statistic that that said 62% of uh, uh of so-called Christians sitting in the pews Believe that Jesus Christ sinned. Well, that's a problem. If he sinned, we are dead, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're doomed. We- what-, what do we have for hope? Because he couldn't die for us. So when we begin to understand those things, I mean, uh, and again, there's statistics that say that a majority, over two thirds, Over two-thirds of Christians do not believe Christian growth is important. See how deceitful that is? I mean, they're being deceived right in the middle of being deceived. It's just completely foreign to us. As somebody that believes the Bible and believes what is true, we realize that the growth comes from him. As we read it daily, as we pray daily, as we fellowship together, when church is is, is open, as we, we come together to edify and encourage one another, all of these things we realize are important in the Christian life for growth. And the deceiver out there says, no, it's not important. It's not important to go to church. You got other things to do. Oh, you can skip it. You don't need it. The mentality today is is that, oh, okay, well, Sunday morning church, that's the important one. That's the one that's not optional, but everything else is optional. Well, that's not what Jesus Christ said. You want to know how important the church was to him? As it says over in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, he died for it. Church is important. His word is important. Don't forsake it. You go over there and and happen to be reading this morning over the book of Numbers, and, and he's giving a warning to those individuals When they came into the land and the spies said, no, we can't do this. And then God says, well, now you're going to all die in the wilderness. And then they go, oh, it's a change of heart all of a sudden. Let's go ahead and go try to take it. And and, and, and Moses is like, "You're, you're going to fail. And they tried and they failed. Why? Because God wasn't with them. Why? Because they failed to listen to the word of God. They failed to listen to the word of God. The devil will tell you the Bible isn't important. It's not important to read it. It's too hard to read. You realize that right here in this book that the, the, these words are, are are barely there's only a few words in this book that are over you know four syllables three syllables. I mean it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How about the most well-known verse? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Begotten is the biggest word in there that people don't understand. And you look at that and you see how simple scripture is and how simple it is to read. And we ourselves, let's just face it. We've degraded our language over the course of time. That's why we can't understand it. That's why we can't understand it. How is it Individuals say, just taking somebody out of, you know, historical background, somebody that, say, like, uh, George Washington or Thomas Jefferson? And I understand their beliefs, and I understand what they they said, and so on and so forth, and what they did. But how is it that they could read it? And we can't. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Google that they could click on to help them pronounce the difficult names. The difficult words. They didn't even have a dictionary. Think about that. 1700s, there was no concise dictionary until uh, old Webster decided, hey, let's put something together. And he used the Bible to help define words. 1828. Most people don't understand that. What did they use to define words before there was a dictionary? What did we do before there was Google? Google. You want to know something right now? I mean, all else you have to do is whip out your phone. Go to Google, type in what is blah, blah, blah. And it'll tell you. Vain deceit. He also warns, he says, after the tradition of men in verse 8. Men's tradition really sometimes will override. Now, not all tradition is bad. Let's understand that. Right. Paul uh, specifically it uh, told uh, Timothy over there, you need to follow the traditions that I'm setting for you. So uh, not, not all traditions are bad, but, you know, you, you go into some churches and, you know, good grief. If they do one thing out of order that they've never done before, it's like everybody's in derision. But how about when it comes to the traditions of men, when it comes to the things that are taught in the world Excuse me, in the church today. There's a lot of traditions of men. Yeah. Got to wear a suit and tie to church. I don't see that Scripture. I don't think you should come looking like a slob. But we we that there's a lot of people in their traditions. I you knew a missionary, a missionary that we support, Mitch uh Miller to uh Mexico and uh he would go around and uh he had to be very careful. He had to get rid of all of his colored shirts. Because if he went and de- uh, you know, on deputation and went to a church, and wore a colored shirt, other you know, something other than white. They would tell him, "We're not going to support you." Stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. I know a missionary um, brother Tenbrink. He was. Uh, uh, he told me when he came through a long time ago. He he said. He said, "I don't care. I've set a date." and uh lord uh, Lord willing, that's what I'm going, whether I have fifty percent percent uh support or hundred percent support. he says, because I can't do this deputation any longer yeah. i i I could tell you things that these uh these churches and these pastors that set themselves up as the preeminent one as the authorities, mm-hmm. you know what they do? they ask questions they ought not ask intruding into their personal lives that they have no business intruding into. Such as, does your wife wear pants to bed? Who cares? Mind your own business, pervert. Praise God, God did not call me to be a missionary. (laughs) I think I probably would have been a lot more blunt than that but you understand that there's there's these things of traditions of men that wind up coming in and superseding that preeminence of Christ turn if you will over there to to the book of third john and I, I again just mentioning this and i mentioned this before but it's always good to see this uh in in the book of third john <clears throat> In the book of 3rd John, you know, Paul is writing, uh, to, uh, this guy Gaius in, in, in specifically talking about all the good things, mentions in a, a couple other individuals uh, that, uh, are doing what is right, but he, but here he says, uh, in, in verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. You know what? That's a tradition of man. Well, I don't like John. I don't like the way he preaches. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't, whatever it may be. And sometimes people get so caught up with that stuff. As he says here in verse 10, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he receive the brethren and forbiddeth them, that would and casteth them out of the church. Well, what right does he have to do that? None. What did he do? He inserted himself into the where the position of Christ should be. And we see this with traditions where people do things a certain way, and it becomes so entrenched. I remember talking, uh, listening, and hearing to a. a uh, hearing a pastor one time talk about uh churches and he said one thing that he would never do is go and take over another church. He said it's because they've got traditions. He said it is so hard to break those traditions. He said I'd rather go start a church. He said I'd rather go preach to a whole congregation of atheists than to go and preach to people that we're entrenched in religiosity and religious traditions and no this is the way we do things and this is the way that we have to do things because this is the only way that god will bless things you know i find in scripture that's not the way god works we had an opportunity thursday to go up and uh, to faith baptist church they were having a, a bible conference and and, uh, there was a gentleman there, Dave Hadman, and he was talking about how God uses, uh, some very unique things to provide for us. Things that people wouldn't really necessarily think of. And he used the passage talking about Elijah and how did God feed Elijah with an unclean bird, a raven. Ravens were unclean. You're supposed to mess around with them. I mean, there's a stigma about ravens today. Just think they're nasty little birds. Because they're all black, people think they're some form of death or cursed or something of that nature. But how, however it may be, here, here it is that God feeds bread and meat to Elijah from an unclean bird. Could you imagine if that was Peter? Oh, not so, Lord. (laughs) Not so. Paul warns him, says, don't get caught up in those traditions. He says, tradition of men. Not tradition of God. Tradition of men that will rob the preeminence of Christ in your life. Hinder the power, hinder the authority of the work of God. And he says, after the rudiments of the world, you take a look at the church today, and there is such a worldly influence that has crept in. Yeah. Whether it's music, whether it's the the speech, whether it's whatever it may be, you go into many churches and you go into the auditorium, and they're not bright and 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 uh, uh, vibrant. They're dark. They 're kind of gloomy they 've got black backgrounds, and the only thing that 's lit up is the man that 's on stage or the band yeah. I, I I saw one, and I am not kidding you. They were preparing for their Easter service. And as they were preparing for their Easter service, they were doing test runs of the drummers who were suspended from the ceiling and would go along a zip line as they're drumming towards the back of the auditorium so they would go over the crowd, these drummers. I'm like, um, um... Don't you think maybe that's taken a little bit of the focus off of Christ and the power of his resurrection? Then it becomes all about the what? The show. The rudiments of the world. Uh, I preached a message, and I can't remember if I preached it here, but I know I talked about it over at uh, Brother uh, Rich Glenn's um, uh, conference one time. And, uh, you know, people are always talking about all of these false religions. People are talking about, okay, well, well, well what's the issue with Roman Catholicism? What's the issue with Buddhism? What's the issue with Islam? Uh, what's the issue with uh, Taoism, Confucius, um, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and things of that nature? And, and I've studied some of those. And, and I'll tell you this, it's better to just study the truth of the Word of God. I've read the Quran. Um, not really worth it. I've, I've read the, uh, origin of species. Again, not really worth it. Um, you know, all of these things, I'll tell you this. While people were so focused on, uh, on doing away with and, and trying to, to, if you will, counter the false doctrines that were coming from there, they left the back door open. And you know what crept into churches today? Humanism. You realize that humanism is the babylonian religion? Started a Tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. You study every single one of those false religions, you know what you're going to find at the core of it? Humanism. Man uplifting himself as God. The real church of Satan, as they call it today is a humanistic church. They say, no, we don't go worship Satan. We're not offering sacrifices. We worship ourselves because we are our own gods. Humanism. That's crept into the church today. That's crept into the church. And he says, I want you to be careful He says, I want you to to not be spoiled by any of these things. He says, I want you to follow what is after Christ. Turn over to the book of uh, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, really quickly. Let's take a look at a couple of passages, Ephesians chapter 4. This is not just happening at the Church of Colossae. This is happening as throughout time, throughout all of the churches, Ephesians chapter four, here in verse fourteen. Here he is telling this church here that that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men, by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He says, you got to be careful with that. Got to be careful with that. You know how you counter. That You want to know how you counter being deceived in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. The more truth that comes out of your mouth, the less you are likely to be deceived by the things of the world, the devil, and of men. Because you're more focused on making sure that truth is coming out than falsehood. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Here he is now warning, uh, um, uh, you know, the Jews here in this specific, because obviously Hebrews is written to Jews. Hebrews. <laughs> it's not that hard to figure that one out. <laughs> it's like over there in James. To the, to the tribes that are scattered abroad. Oh, okay, now we know who this is too. Uh, but here in, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, jump over there to verse, uh, verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. People get caught up in that. People today are trying to say, well, well, well the church is going to go through, uh, uh, the tribulation. I read something this morning, and this guy was like, "Why in the world would he do that?" And he made the connection, and he pointed something out, and he said, "Look, look, look at this. If the if the church is the body of Christ, why would he subject his body again to judgment and wrath?" And then people are like. Oh, I can kind of yeah yeah. <laughs> you got people. Who, I mean, and again, it's all sorts of doctrines, diverse and strange doctrines. I had some friends that they uh, they went to a church for a period of time uh, down in Oregon, and their parents went to church, and uh, the uh, the pastor's wife uh, had a ladies get together, and the ladies get together. She introduced a, a new way to divine, uh, um, you know, important principles or I guess you should say decisions in your life. You know what that is? Divination. And if you know anything about scripture, God warns against it, doesn't he? And she was saying that you could take a, this pendulum and the way the pendulum would swing would dictate your future and what was going to happen. This was in a church. Wow. I wouldn't necessarily say they were, you know, 100% Bible believers, but I would say they were saved, born again, child, children of God that were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They may have been off on a couple of little things, but you know, hey, they got the, they got salvation down, right? That comes in. These women go home and tell their husbands, you know what their husbands did? They grabbed the hold of the pastor and brought him in on a Sunday night and said, What is going on? And he supported his wife. And you know what happened to that church? Split. People left one well, of the old deacons got up and was yelling at the pastor and saying that it was the devil and it was witchcraft. Oh well, yeah, it is. That crept right in, didn't it? it? Wasn't after Christ. It was a strange doctrine. Eventually the the pastor left his wife and went off to go uh live in Thailand somewhere. Weird stuff. Strange. Strange. Somebody proposes a doctrine to you that you've never heard of before and it makes you do an eyebrow raise. I'm talking the hairy eyebrow where you just sit there and go, like what? Check it out with Scripture. Make sure it's after Christ not after man. Because if it's glorifying man and it doesn't glorify Christ, his position, his preeminence, drop it like a hot rock and run. He warns them right here. He says, beware. He says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Going back over there to the book of Colossians, take a look in verse 9 here. And, and, and I want to get to this point because this is one of the most important principles. Here he is talking about philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, rudiments of the world. Uh, he, he's already warned uh, about being uh, beguiled by enticing words, all of these things. And I will tell you this, this is why doctrine is important. There are churches today that say, oh, we're not going to teach doctrine. We're just going to teach application. Sorry, I don't know why I did that voice. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry, I got shelled from. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, that's the way it is. They won't teach the hard stuff. They won't teach about there's a real hell that is a real place of fire that burns. And a real lake of fire. There's a real devil that is a deceiver, that is an angel of light, can transform his ministers into ministers of righteousness that look good, yeah. sound good. You gotta understand doctrine. Doctrine's important. And I'll tell you, it comes down to this. The doctrine of Jesus Christ and all that that contains is one of the most important doctrines of the Bible. Because if people, if people don't believe Jesus Christ, they are lost in their sins. You know, talking to somebody about soul winning or talking to them about eternal, uh, uh, life, and they'll say, "Oh, well, I, 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 yeah, 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 I've always believed in God." There's a lot of people that believe in God. Right. Yeah. Bible says the devils believe and tremble. Right. Yeah. And you look at them, and you go, "I don't see you trembling." But uh, let's 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 talk about this. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Oh, well, he was a great teacher. Yeah, you know, he was, he was, he, he taught a lot about, you know, loving one another and stuff like that. You gotta go read the rest of what he taught. Yeah. They, 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 they try to do something with Jesus Christ that lessens his preeminence. The Bible says that God has elevated his word above his name what does John 1.1 1, 1 call Jesus Christ? The Word. Don't you think that's important? I mean, wouldn't that be something that you would go, oh, and, and, and that's the way that, 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 uh, that, that God operates about who He is. Because take a look at verse 9. He says right here in verse 9, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, Bodily, there are people today that want to and will say Jesus Christ is not God. You'll get somebody knocking on your door. Two gentlemen in, uh, you know, white shirts and black ties and black pants with little name tags. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, oh, you and I, we believe the same. I've had them do it to me multiple times. Uh, it's sometimes I'll tell you I'm not always in the right spirit when that happens, <laughs> and I try to be nice. There's one time they knocked on the door and they said that, and because they're like, "Oh, do you have a church you go to?" Yes, I, I, I go to um, God's Word Baptist Church. Oh, you're a Baptist. Yeah, we believe the same thing. And I just, I put my head down and just kind of shook like this. And I said, do you guys really want to go there right now? (laughs) And they just kind of looked at me like, uh. Like, because I'm like, no, not even close. They believe that Jesus is a God. From God the Father. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. Well, what do you do with Isaiah 9 where it calls him the everlasting father? You, you, you say things like that and people just kind of like short circuit. Well, well, well maybe, maybe it means something else. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe God meant it to say exactly what it says. Let's just imagine that part. But I mean, again, people struggle with that. They struggle with it. And and what he says here is he's talking about God himself put himself in flesh to come down here for us to suffer and die for our sins, to be nailed to a cross and die for our sins, so that he would have the preeminence, as he talks about later on, to spoil principalities and powers, to, to, to if you will, break the chains of sin and death, to be able to do those things. And people want to dismiss it and say, "Well, that really no that that, Jesus really wasn't God." Take a look at a couple of passages. Go over to First Timothy, First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. As I've said. There's this interesting study about the verses 316 throughout Scripture. Interesting thing to run down. But 1 Timothy 316, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This is a mystery. People have a hard time figuring this out. I like good mysteries. I mean, you know, you get a good mystery book. I haven't read a good mystery book in a long time. Mystery television series. People are like, oh, what's going to happen next? Anyways, great is the mystery of godliness. Well, what's godliness? God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh. It says God was manifested in the flesh. Go over to John 1 where he says in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us i mean come on it doesn't it's not rocket science you know we'll we'll never understand the mind of god but he writes it so plainly and so simply for us that we can't understand that He says this, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. And just called Jesus Christ God. You can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, I'm just going to read this. I know we're kind of running out of time here. In Verse 1 it says, God, God, I'll Just in, ca- in case we didn't hear that word, God. So who's this talking about? God. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Who's that? Jesus Christ. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Oh. By whom also he made the worlds. Oh, so you mean he was present in Genesis 1-1? Absolutely. Well, that would up right exactly with what John said in John 1. Okay? You now, who's it talking about? It's talking about his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person, and upholding all these things by the word of his power, when he had purged by, excuse me, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Who is that talking about? Jesus Christ. Right here in in Hebrews, it establishes him as the authority. Right now, the Jew does not have Jesus Christ as their authority. They believe in God, but they have not believed on Jesus Christ. They rejected him. They rejected him. We have to believe that Jesus is God, or we simply don't believe. We simply don't believe. Uh, And and this becomes, if you will, that, that, that primer of the foundation of 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 what we need in our life what we're supposed to have as uh, for our for all doctrines and everything that we believe that principle that Jesus Christ is God he was and is the father the word the spirit in one 1 John 1 uh, chapter 5 verse 7 turn there really quickly 1 John chapter 5 First John chapter 5, and some people will argue and say, well, verse 7 really didn't appear uh, in in the original. Actually, it appears in a very frequent amount of the originals, if you will, the manuscripts that are there. In verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, he goes down verse 8, and he says that they agree in one, But verse 7 clarifies the important doctrine of the Trinity. You cannot separate them. You cannot take them apart. And it establishes Jesus Christ as God. And what happens today with philosophy, (laughs) vain deceit, Traditions of men and rudiments of the world is it wants to take that away. Why? Because if it takes away the principal doctrine that Jesus Christ is God, He does not have any preeminence in your life. He has no authority. He's just another guy. Just another guy. But this establishes, as we see throughout all of this, the preeminence of who Jesus Christ is now obviously as we go through this we're going to see it back over in the book of colossians we're not going to have time for this but i just want to establish some things that we can begin to think about in verse 10 it says and ye are complete in him now this is why jesus christ has to be god because he can complete you he can complete you Man was not made to be absent of God. That's not how it was in the garden. He didn't just drop him off in a spacecraft and say, hey, you know, you're on your own, Adam. Oh, by the way, here's a woman. It's not how it worked. He didn't create man and just go, I'm done here, and walk away. Praise God he didn't. We'd be in a bit bit of a difficult place. But what happens is a person that has not trusted Christ as their Savior is missing something, an important component in their life. And they're missing that life that comes from Jesus Christ. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. But we're alive in Jesus Christ. And he says, and you're complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And this is where we start getting into that area where if we've trusted Christ as our Savior and we are complete in Him, then He should be the head of everything that we do. First consideration, last consideration, only consideration. What does Jesus Christ think of what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, or what I'm thinking of in this exact moment? that puts him in the preeminent position. And we'll learn more about that, Lord willing, next week as we take a look at it. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer, take a small break, come back uh, for our main service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us uh, from your word. Thank you again, Lord, for just coming and paying the price for my sin, that, Lord, you would die on that cross for me, would show the power and your authority and might by rising again and conquering sin and death. Pray, Lord, you just keep uh, uh, our minds and our hearts fixed upon you this morning as we prepare for the morning service, that you just give us the, the words that we need for encouragement, edification, correction, if necessary. But Lord, we would just seek and desire you, your will and your word in our life. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.